0: The Lord has has placed something on my heart, and I want to share it with you this morning. Um, The scripture is found in Acts uh, 13 and 36. It's just a really short scripture. I'll refer to it maybe once or twice throughout the the message this morning, Um, but actually we'll go on to share other things with you too. Um, But the scripture is Acts 13 and 36, and it says this. It says, for David, after he had served God's purpose in his own generation, died and was buried with his ancestors. Just a short scripture there. David, after he had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors. Lord, I just pray, Father, for this message this morning. I pray for what you desire, Lord, to do in our service and in our midst today and among your people God, I know that you knew who was going to be here, and I know that you already have it planned. I'm excited in my spirit, oh God, as I know that you have an ultimate plan uh, through your word this morning. I pray for your anointing. I pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. My daughter's here this morning. Uh, My daughter looks a lot like me. Um, She has my same blue eyes. She has my um, same expressions a lot of times. uh, We share those. I gave them to her. She has a few other traits uh, of mine also. When she was a teenager, I remember uh, telling my husband a couple of times, what in the world makes her act like that? I cannot believe, and he would say, well, honey, she acts just like you. And I I would literally stop my foot and say, no, I don't act like that. But sadly, or gladly, whichever the case may be, depending on how you look at it, I gave her many of my looks, and I gave her many of my traits. I'm also going to leave her a few other things. When I die, it won't be much. A few cherished possessions. I already have some of them put back for you, hon. Uh, it won't be much money, but I, because I plan to spend all that. <laughs> but those things that I leave her will be material things, and they're not worth very much. But on top of her inheritance, I have an opportunity to leave um, a legacy to her that is not monetary, and yet it is more valuable than any amount of money that I could give her or that I could leave her. It's what she will pass on to Eliana, my granddaughter, and it's what Eliana will pass on to my great-granddaughter or son. Whatever the case may be, the children will will uh, eventually inherit it its value is not even measurable i can 't even measurable measure it i 'm not sure yet what all it 's going to uh, be because i haven 't I'm still working on it. I'm still working on that legacy that I leave to her and that I give to my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. My life may not seem like very much, uh, but the fact is that I'm still building on it, and if I have anything to say about it, I will live beyond this life. And I love that saying. I want to talk to you this morning about living beyond your life beyond legacy because legacy sometimes is material things but if we want to live beyond our life we can and we can have the opportunity i believe that uh, it was martin luther that once said that if he knew that tomorrow would be his last day to live that he would what he would do if he knew his tomorrow was his last day to live is that he would go out and plant a tree now that's a pretty big statement because we know that trees have the ability to live thousands in fact there are trees in this world today some in California that have lived thousands and thousands of years and that in a way what he was saying is when I die I want whatever I uh, have to give I want it to live on way after I'm gone and that's what I'm saying today Uh, that's what I'm wanting to talk about living beyond our life giving a legacy and when I think about people down through history uh, that mark uh, that have made a mark in generations that follow. Just, they're just everyday, ordinary people, and yet they've made huge impact on the world. Uh, they were nothing remarkable in themselves. They were just common people, and yet they did uncommon things. And uh, G- even Jesus' disciples, when you look at them, they are just a bunch of clumsy, disloyal, hard-headed, um, stubborn, uh, a cowardly uneducated group of men and yet Christ chose them and to be his disciples and I'm thinking about them and I'm thinking well they don't sound like or they don't look like very much different than what we are how many of you here are clumsy how many of you are stubborn anybody here hard-headed Okay, you have the same tri- traits as the disciples that Jesus called to do great things for him. And you're able to do those same things. The last words that, that Jesus left with the, uh, his disciples, he said, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Has he forgotten who he's talking to? He hasn't forgotten. These men, are already they already had the chance to change the world. And yet when they ha- were given the chance, they ran away. They ran away and they denied that they even knew who he was. And yet, are these the ones that Christ has chosen to start the greatest movement uh, uh, in all of history that's going to be so controversial and it's going to be so mighty and it's going to be so head-spinning that 2,000 years from now, or 2,000 years from then, it was still going to have the ability to change men's lives forever. And yet, he chose common men who had all of these traits, the same ones that we do. Does he still call common people to change the world today would he choose me would he choose me to leave a legacy that would be so powerful that it would outlive my life and that others would be affected by that in the uh, in many for many many years to come look at your neighbor sitting right beside you look at them look at the ones behind you and in front of you do they look like world changers to you Some of you are clumsy, some of you are stubborn, some of you are bald, some of you are fat, some of you are skinny. But all of us are just average men and women who uh, live average lives. You go to school, you go to work, you take care of your families, you do all these things, nothing spectacular about your life. Um, uh, so I ask the question, can God use simple folks like us to change the world? And my answer is yes, he can. He can use us. I want to live a legacy. I want to outlive my life. I want my life to be affecting generations to come when I'm long gone. Is that possible? Yes, I believe it is. Let me get, tell you a, a couple of stories. Um, uh, at the age of 29 years old, Nicholas Winton... Um, in 1939, when he heard about uh, how Hitler had invaded uh, Czechoslovakia, many Jewish families were being ripped apart, torn apart. Children were being uh, torn away from them. The families were being marched off to concentration camps. No one was caring for the, caring for the children. And wenton had a burden for that as a 29-year-old young man. He had a burden for that, and he vowed that he would do something. He went on his vacation to Prague and he met many families who had children and he convinced them, let me take your children to safety. Then, and, and when he had gained their permission, he went back to England and he got permission from the government officials to bring these children to England. He set up foster homes for them. He raised finances for them. And he began bringing the children from Czechoslovakia into England to safety. Um, uh, history records that in March of nineteen of 19- he began bringing children for the next five months he brought children to safety to england as their parents were being ripped away from them and put in concentration camps and the story goes the true story goes that uh, over the next five months 669 children were brought into england and put into foster homes and brought into safety um he was just about ready to make the largest transport that he had ever done he was bringing 250 children to england and during that time uh hitler invaded um uh germany i mean hitler invaded some other country i don't know what it was now but anyway he invaded again another country um in poland he invaded poland and all of the european borders were closed and they couldn't get the children out and those 250 children were never heard of again and I want to tell you, those 669 children that were rescued that day, it, uh, it, back in 2009, uh, now he's nearly 100 years old. At, in 2009, he's probably dead by now, I don't know. But in 2009, he was a, nearly 100 years old. And many of the children, 25 of the children that are now in their 70s and 80s themselves, they got together and they had a reunion <clears throat> And they came to uh, England just to thank him and thank him for saving their lives. The grateful group uh, of people included a film director, a Canadian journalist, a, a news correspondent, a former prime minister of the British Cabinet, one of the founders of the Israeli uh, army. All, all of those were children that he saved by going out of his way to to leave a legacy. Uh, some of uh, there there are about seven thousand. Listen to this. 7,000 through one man's efforts to rescue children, 7,000 children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren who owe their existence to this man's bravery. He wears a ring that the children bought to him, and on the inscription on the ring says, Save one life and save the world. I think that's an amazing story of how one man could ha- make an uh, impact upon the world and save the children. And and not just from those, he saved many thousands of people uh, were brought to safety and and are uh, living today because of that. This story sounds a little elaborate, but maybe it sounds like it's something a little bit out of the common and out of the ordinary. So I want to share with you today a story that is more common. Uh, My great grandmother, her name was Mabel Mackey. She and my great-grandpa were married, and they had three children. My grandmother, my grandma, was one of the, those, those children. I never met my great-grandma, Mackie, but I do have early childhood memories of my, my grandpa, Mackie, my great-grandpa. Um, this family, my great-grandparents, they were not church-going people. They didn't believe in Jesus. They came from a small town in Visai, Oklahoma. Anybody ever heard of Visai, Oklahoma? Yep, just a few Okies. They came from that small town. Every Friday and every Saturday night, my grandmother told me this story. She said that every Friday and every Saturday night, they would roll up the small carpet that was in their living and dining room area. They would move all the furniture aside, move it out, and they would have a dance at her house. Every Friday and Saturday, they didn't know Jesus. There was lots of drinking. There was lots of partying. There was lots of dancing. That's what their family was accustomed to. My grandmother, at the time that she was talking about this happening, she was about 14 years old. And she recalls the wild parties. Um, she says that as a child, a 14-year-old girl, she said she could cuss like a sailor. She was so accustomed to this kind of language that it was like second nature to her. But one year in the summertime, uh, two young girls came to Visai, Oklahoma. Now, this does something to my heart, especially that young girls' statement. Two young girls came to Visai, Oklahoma, and they began to announce that they were going to have a revival at the old schoolhouse uh, in Visai. And they, they put up banners, and they said, we're going to have, they began to announce, we're going to have a revival at the old schoolhouse all of the small community was invited now my grandma and my grandpa mackey they had no desire to become christians uh, but in a, in country communities back in those days anytime there was a gathering everybody went it didn't matter what it was everybody went and so it was kind of like it was just a social gathering um, so my grandmother and my granddad got the kids ready and they went to this revival my grandmother went to the revival that service that night, and to everyone's surprise, including herself, she went to the altar that night, and she dedicated her life to the Lord. Now, on the way home, while they were walking home, the kids began to, to tease her about, wh- about what she had done. And as, and as they were walking home, my grandpa Mackie, he stopped the kids, and he said, Now, listen, mom has made a decision today. She has made a choice that will affect the rest of her life. And not only will it affect her life, but it's going to affect our life. And so we're going to honor her choice and that what she has done today. None of them liked it. The wild party stopped, and there was no more drinking, and there was no more uh, partying at their house every Friday night. No one liked it. But you know what? My, grand, my great-grandpa and, and the kids, they kept going to the revival services with my grandma, and in the end, all of them were saved. And all of their lives were changed. My grandma talks about walking home from school with a a group of kids and how she was just telling some story and just cussing one word right after another, not thinking anything about it. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit pricked her heart and said, "Uh, that's not becoming of a Christian. And as a 14-year-old girl, her life changed dramatically. And from that time on, slowly she began to change her speech and her conversation, forever changed by the decision that number one her her grandma or her mother made later my grandma married a preacher and they were in ministry together for many years. I recently went through this and started doing the math. And from the night that my, my great grandmother got saved until today, a conservative estimate of how many family members have been presented the gospel and received the gospel of Christ would be somewhere around 200. This is only an estimate. And this is not even including that the, the, the lives that they changed, each one of them changed. This is just family. This is not talking outside of family and the people's lives that were changed because of the decision she made. After her salvation, my great-grandmother went on to work faithfully in the church, teaching children and ministering. She has outlived her life. What a legacy. I never knew her, but I'm here to tell you this morning that I don't even know if I would be standing here today if it was not the legacy that my great-grandmother left, and she left that for me, and I'm here today. I hope that she sees me. I hope that she sees what she's left to her family and i want to ask you the question this morning how can you outlive your life how can you make a difference for ages to come centuries to come years to come on down the line how can you outlive your life how can you leave a legacy the first thing i want to talk to you today about is the first thing that you need to do is that you need to make a choice you need to make a choice make a choice for Christ and make it solid and make it sure without any hesitation no turning back no detours plant your feet solidly make that choice many men and women are going to do great feats that will go down in the history book but if if you want to outlive your life don't be concerned about what goes down in the history book just be concerned what goes in the book of life Make that choice and make it solid and make it sure. Uh, You cannot do, I cannot do anything of eternal value without first making the choice to follow hard after Christ. I won't turn back. I will make mistakes, yes, but I will not alter my course. I have set my face to see Jesus. Choose, make that choice and make it solid. My influence will not be tainted by the fact that I'm a wishy washy, on again, off again Christian that is uh, serving God wholeheartedly one day and the next day I'm out drinking and partying and and living it up in the world. My witness and my testimony will not be tainted by that fact. I will make a choice, I will make it firm and I will make it sure. I don't want to be a legend. I want to be a legacy. I want to have something to pass down generation to generation. You know, there were two, uh, two uh, brothers. One of them's name was Edwin, and one of them's name was John. And both of them were great uh, Shakespearean actors in the uh, latter part of the 1800s. Edwin, uh, the, one of the brothers performed in st- on stage in New York and in London, He won approval by all of the toughest critics of that day. He was destined to to greatness until one fateful night when his brother, John, John Wilkes Booth, shot and killed our president, Abraham Lincoln. And from that time on, Edwin, his brother, was never again the same. Shame from his brother's crime drove him into retirement He might never have returned to the stage had it not been for a twist of fate that happened one night while he was awaiting a train at the train depot. There was a young man that was dressed immaculately that was standing there beside him and the crowd began to press in. And when the crowd pressed in, the young man lost his footing and he fell uh, down between the platform and the moving train. Edwin instinctively, without hesitation, wrapped his leg around the railing and reached down and grabbed the man and pulled him out to safety. When he pulled the young man to safety, the young man looked him in the face and he recognized this is the, the man, this, this is the brother of the man who killed Abraham Lincoln. He recognized him. Now, Edwin didn't recognize the young man. But after the thank yous were said and they went on their way, several weeks later, Edwin Booth received in the mail a letter, and the letter was from General Adams Bodeau, chief Chief secretary to Ulysses Grant. The letter was thanking Edwin Booth for saving the life of a former president's son, Abraham Lincoln. Now, I want to tell you, look at that. Look at that story. How ironic that one brother killed the president... And the other brother saved the president's son. I think that's very ironic. Edwin and John Booth had the same father. They had the same mother. They had the same upbringing. They even had the same vocation. Yet one chooses life and the other chooses death. How could this happen? I don't know, but you know what? It's nothing new. This story's not unique. If you look through your Bible, you'll see two brothers. Abel and Cain. One chooses God, one chooses murder. Look at Abraham and Lot, both of them pilgrims in Canaan. Abraham chooses God, Lot chooses Sodom. Look at Saul and David in the Bible, both kings of Israel. David chooses God, Saul chooses power. Look at Peter and Judas, both of them disciples of the Lord, both deny the Lord. Peter seeks mercy. Judas seeks death. Look at the two thieves on the cross. Both of them hanging with our Lord. Both of them given opportunity to choose Christ. One chooses Christ, the other curses him. The interesting part is that God lets them make the choice. We all have choice. Even Joshua, when he, say, he was talking to Israel, and he said, Choose you this day who you will serve. Make a choice. Joshua had already made the choice. He had already made up his mind because he continued by saying, But as for me and my house, we will choose to serve the Lord. He didn't stutter when he said that. He didn't stumble over his words. He was certain. It is our choice to choose right now. Today is your choice to choose. If you want to leave a legacy that will have eternal benefits, make your choice and make it solid. Set your mind, set your heart on the best choice that you will ever make. Choose to outlive your life. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 says, Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Some of you are living a legacy, but the legacy that you're living is a legacy of alcoholism, of violence, of dishonesty, of wrong choices. You can change that today. Today is your day of salvation. Pastor Steve, would you get me some water? The second thing that you can do in order to outlive your life. It's so simple, and all of these things are so simple, but that's just, that, that. That's it is simple. The second thing you can do is just do good. It doesn't have to be something spectacular. It doesn't have to be something earth-shaking. Just do good. Just do good things. Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt. Find someone who's hurting and heal it. Find a child that doesn't have anybody and mother that child. Be a mother or a father to that child. Find someone who doesn't have a friend or someone who's lonely and be their friend. Just do good. Now, let me, let me ask you. I have some questions to ask you here. Let me uh, get, get you to raise your hands here. Raise your hand if you know the answer to any of the following questions, okay? Okay. Can you name the five wealthiest people in the world? Anybody? Okay. Can you name the last um, five Heisman Trophy winners? Of course you can. Well, I'll give you a test after church. Can you name, okay, and if you can do this, I'm going to be worried about you. But can you name the last five winners of the Miss America contest? Okay, can you even name uh, 10 Academy Award winners for Best Actress or Best Actor? Got one? Okay, can you name the last decade's worth of the World Series winners? Probably, yeah, probably you can. If you were like me, when I'm asking myself these questions, most of us don't remember the headliners of yesterday. Most of us don't remember, although these are no second-rate achievers, and they're the best in their field, the applause eventually dies, the awards are tarnished, and the achievements are forgotten. Accolades and certificates are buried with the owners. We forget all of these things, the awards that come to these men. Now, let me ask you another question. Thank you. Can you list a few teachers who aided your journey through school? Can you name three friends who helped you through a difficult time? A few more hands going up, huh? Can you name five people who've taught you something worthwhile? Can you think of a few people who have made you feel appreciated and special? Can you name five people that you enjoy spending time with? My point is this. The people who make a difference in our lives are not the ones with the most credentials. They're not the ones with the most money. And they're not the ones with the most rewards. The ones that make the most influence in our lives are the ones who simply care. The ones who simply reach out to us and care about us as individuals. I'm going to tell you, human hurt is something that's really hard to look at. When we see someone who's hurting and someone who's struggling, it's really hard to look at. We come in contact with people like that every day. And if we will impact their life, if we're going to impact their life, we're going to have to look at them. Human hurt is hard to look at. I'm going to tell you, there's people in this congregation today and in our church that are hurting. And yet we, we simply pat them on the back and we nod to them and we greet them and we walk right on by and we don't even look at their hurt we don't look at them you know when peter and john finally looked at the beggar on their way to the temple when they actually looked at him they had gone this way many times to the temple many times they had passed this way how many times had he been sitting there probably every day and they hadn't looked at him but when they actually stopped and they looked at him the bible says when their eyes reached his eyes they looked at each other he looked at them Peter, uh, Peter looked at him and he said, Look at us. They locked eyes on his with such compassion. And he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them. It's hard for us to look on a suffering face. We would rather turn away. How many times do we pass people by that are hurting and and we just give them a nod or the pat on the back? This is a perfect example for us. If we look at Peter's life here, when he actually looked at that man who was hurting and broken and sick, he didn't just look at him, but he also reached down and touched him. And when he touched him and he took him by the hand, he lifted him up. That's what happens to us. If we will actually look at the people that are hurting and are struggling, we won't just look at them, but we'll also reach out and touch them. We will impact their lives. Our, our, uh, we can outlive our life when we touch someone in this way. You could die tomorrow, but they will never forget you. Uh, yesterday evening we had um, uh, we went to Oklahoma for grandma 's birthday. She turned eighty, and the family got together while we were uh, on the way there. Um, my son, Chad started telling us a story about a young uh, man who was like thirteen and fourteen years old when we pastored in midland and Chad was the youth pastor and this young man had a lot of struggles in his life and he was he lived with an abusive father and uh, many many times <clears throat> I can remember my son taking isaac and and uh, going to get him and spend time with him, taking him to ball games, just something to get his mind off of the things that he was suffering at home and spent and he 'd bring him to the house and he 'd just let him spend the night with us. And there was, I mean, the, the, the family that he lived on was very, in, was very dysfunctional. It was very difficult. And um, Chad was telling us that Isaac, just this past week, called him up and said he wanted to take, called Amber actually and said, I want to take Chad to, to supper and so for his birthday. And so they went to dinner. And Isaac, while he was there, he began sharing with Chad. I want to tell you, Chad, the things that you did for me as a kid. My little brother's going through it now. And he said, I go and spend time with my little brother. And he said, I remember what, that you were there for me and that you spent time with me and that you prayed with me and that you shared the word with me and that you brought me home and, and you loved me and you told me I was worth something and you told me God had plans for me and you told me all these great things that the word says about my life and you prayed over me. And he said, all of these things come. I keep coming back to my mind when I share with my little brother. And he said, I just want to say thank you for what you did. Thank you for pouring into me. It made a difference in my life and I'm where I am today but partly because of what you did for me I'm gonna tell you when you start reaching out and touching people's hurts and touching where they're at ministering for to them when you start looking and finding people who have needs when you start looking for needs and you begin to fill them and if you start looking for hurts and you begin to heal them if you start finding children that need help and young adults that need help and you reach out to them if you start looking for someone Someone who's lonely and you determine that you're going to be their friend God will give you uh, the ability to outlive your life and to make a difference to pass on a legacy um, you can do that and your life will count I remember in in Midland when I was so very very sick when I first was um, diagnosed with this terrible disease but anyway when I was so very very sick there was a lady in our church Uh, who was a nurse and she um, I was in bed for several months I was in bed and couldn't get out of bed and and I would leave the door, my husband would leave the door unlocked and and Jennifer would come and almost every day she would come and she would sit on my bed and she would just encourage me and she would talk to me and she'd share scripture with me and she'd pray for me and and she would check on me, is there anything you need? Day after day she did that I'm going to tell you what, she was not my best friend, we weren't even really that close before that happened but I will never forget the time that she reached out to me when I needed somebody her life will be a legacy her life she's outlived herself in my opinion I love that lady because of the fact that she was willing to give you can outlive your life if you will just do good find something good and do it okay and finally the third thing because I'm not timing myself, we are going to have to pray. I firmly believe that nothing of great or lasting value can be accomplished without first being, it being bathed in prayer. Prayer. James says that the prayer of the righteous person has great power. When people pray, it can literally change the course of history. If we will pray, we will have the ability to outlive our life, and to leave a great legacy. Uh, Back in the uh, uh, mid-1800s, prayer brought about great revival in America. There was a layman, Jeremiah Lanfear, who began uh, noon prayer meetings in New York City. He was just a businessman and he had a heart to pray. And he began having noon prayer meetings. There was only six people that came to the first prayer meeting on uh, September the 23rd, 1857. And they began to pray. By spring of that year, just six, six seven, eight months later, by spring of that year, there, uh, so many prayer meetings had sprung up all of, over New York that many in different locations that the daily attendance grew from six people to 10,000. America's greatest spiritual awakening was underway. When the news spread that there were daily prayer meetings where sinners were welcomed and prayed for and encouraged to come to Christ, many convicts and many sinners began coming to those prayer meetings. People right out of prison were saved and they were set free. Hundreds of people who had spent their nights in the gates of hell came to those prayer meetings and their lives were changed. Thousands of people forsook crime and they became devoted followers of Christ. Crime was drastically reduced in New York City. It began to spread from New York City all the way from New York all the way to Los Angeles. Clear across our country, men and women began to pray. Ships that would come into New York Harbor would be so that the power of God was so great over that city that the ships that would come into the New York Harbor, uh, the captain and and men were converted as before the ship would even dock. Uh, Sailors would fall on their knees and and um, even though other sailors would gather around them and make fun of them they would sing and praise God and it would end up that other believers would come to know that God could come to know God there was power in their prayer God would grip their hearts they humbly knelt in repentance uh, one businessman said that that uh, he had someone in his shop and he began to close up shop said, times to go to prayer meeting and the customer said do you have to go to prayer meeting every day he said yeah come on go with me he took the man to prayer meeting with him and the man got saved he went back to where he lived and started his own prayer meeting all over America in March of 1858 the a re- a religious journal reported it this way it says the largest cities and towns from Maine to California are sharing in this great and glorious work There's There's hardly a village or town anywhere without the divine power that is on display from uh, city to city in these great prayer meetings. I'm telling you, prayer has great value. We have the ability to change the world. In Chicago, 2,000 men met at noon noon to pray. In Philadelphia, 4,000 men were meeting at noon to pray. Prayer changes things. It will change things in our lives. We've seen it on Tuesday morning as our women gather to pray. It, it, uh, it started out with just me and Sandy. Now there's probably 10 or 12 ladies who pray. If you want to come and pray, pray. Because I'm telling you the, the power of God is here. We've seen answers to our prayers. And I believe that what God is going to do and what's coming out of those prayer meetings is going to be a great thing. In the New Testament... When uh, the apostle Peter was in prison, he was guarded by 16 soldiers waiting to be executed the next day by uh, King Herod's orders. He was waiting to be executed. While he was waiting to be executed, what was the church doing? The church was praying. They had gathered together and they had bonded together earnestly praying for God to deliver him. They didn't know what God was going to do, but they knew what he could do and they trusted him and they banded together and began to pray this is to remind us this is to remind the church of today the responsibility we have to pray and the power that's available to us when we do pray what can happen when people pray uh, uh, gloriously the angel came and delivered peter out of jail i want to tell you today what can we learn from this today people people's needs are met if we pray just like peter was in a prison uh locked up up, surrounded by cement and bars and old st- Stained toilet in the corner uh, there are people people today are the same way we they may not be behind bars and and behind cement but people today live in a prison they have needs they feel the prison of pain they have emotional rejection they have physical hardships and suffering they have confusion unfulfilled things in their lives I'm going to tell you the only thing that can break that from their lives is prayer and the only thing that's going to do it is if the church will band together and pray for these needs how will the church how will you have a legacy how will you outlive your life if you don't learn how to pray if you don't learn how to seek God if you don't learn how to have the power of God it's only through prayer that you have power if there's any anointing upon this message this morning it's only because of prayer if there's only anything successful that happens in New Bethel soon to be the grace place if there's only anything that happens it will be through the power of prayer. That's the only way we can accomplish anything. That's the only way we can live a legacy for the, uh, for the Lord today is if we learn to pray. Peter is released uh, from prayer I mean from prison because he learned to pray. The chains fell off. I believe that even here today this morning there are chains that bind people's lives and I'm going I'm to conclude with this right now and if I could get the worship team to come. These things that I shared with you this morning, they're simple, and they're nothing that you haven't heard before. They are simple. First of all, choose. Today is the day to choose. Today is a day to draw a line in the sand and say, I choose to serve God. I choose to uh, to change my life. Today is the day. I choose it. I will mark myself firm. I will choose Christ today. The second thing you can do is just decide to do good. The opportunities that God places in your life to do good, take them. And then, third thing is to pray. Is it enough? Are those three simple things enough? Making a choice, choosing, and doing good, and prayer are they enough? I say yes. I say yes they are enough it's what we have to do to outlive our life every effort that you make every effort that you make for God everything you do for the Lord is rewarded everything you do for Christ will last if you give a cup the Bible says if you give a cup of water to someone who's thirsty there you go Steve there you go God notices, even if I had to ask for it. God notices it. He's going to reward you for it. Everything you do, I'm telling you, listen, I want goodness that's going to outlive the grave. I want goodness in my life that's going to outlive the grave. I want a love that will outlive my final breath. When I die, I want it to just be the beginning of my life. I want to outlive my life. I'm praying that even the message that I'm sharing with you today, I'm praying that even this message will have an effect on someone's life. Just like that sermon that was preached in that little schoolhouse in Visai, Oklahoma, when my grandmother, my great-grandmother made that decision. That was over 100 years ago now. She made that decision for Christ my grandmother listened and she responded and she changed the course of our family's life she changed the course of our family's life would y'all stand with me this morning what will be your legacy will you outlive your life will the things that you do or the choices that you make will they live on Will they outlive you? Well, guess what? Even those bad choices and that bad legacy you leave, it goes on too. You pass down those things to your children, to your grandchildren. The choices you make, the life that you live. I pray, and I was praying while we well are doing worship. God, let the words, if I die tomorrow, I hope you all remember this lesson. I hope I outlive this message and I hope that God plants it in your heart so strong. I want you to outlive your life. I want you to realize the importance of the way you live everyday life. It's important. The choices that you make. And it's never too late. It's never too late to be all that God wants you to be. So I want you to bow your heads and first of all I'm going to ask for those who need to make your choice. If you need to make your choice, I want you to slip out of the aisle, and I want you to come and stand down here in the front, and we're going to pray for you. Today's your day to make the choice. The word, the word says today is the day of salvation. Today. Will you choose to live for Christ? Will you choose to stand firm and make your salvation sure? you will. I want you to come forward this morning. I'm praying for you. I know. I know there are those here and I'm praying for you and I'm believing that God has planted something in your heart today. Surprise yourself. Surprise those around you and make that choice and come forward this morning. those of you who know to do good. The Bible says if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's a sin. If you know to do good, how many of you here want to do good? You want to learn how to reach out to people more and touch people's needs. Touch people's needs. I want you to come forward this morning. Come forward. We're going to pray. And if there are those of you who want God to lay on your heart a deeper burden for prayer, a deeper burden to touch people's lives through prayer and to make a uh, impact on people's lives through prayer. Come forward. We're going to pray today. That should be all of us, people. If you want to do good and if you want to learn how to pray better, that should be every one of us. We're going to pray together. We're going pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 13 and 36, it says, For David, after he had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors. There will come a time when we will serve our purpose in our own generation. And we will die and go be with our ancestors. But what will we have left behind? We don't know when that time is coming. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 20 years from now. It could be 50 years from now. What are you going to leave to the next generation behind you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to just pour out your heart to the Lord right now. Pour out your heart to the Lord. Tell him how you want to be used at him. Tell him what you want him to do for you. Tell him the legacy you want to leave. Tell him how you want to outlive your life and how you want to touch life.